out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, boy. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films using film studies analysis that you'll never study in a film studies course. This week's film is Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Um, that's what it's about, so there's no silly fun, you know, play on names. It's pretty straightforward yeah, title. Yeah, it's pretty it much. is about Captain America and The Winter Soldier. So it, it's all about, you know, a Christmas dinner with... Uh, Black Widow, Captain America, the Hulk. I would watch that shit. (laughs) The the Captain America Christmas special. Oh, God. One time I saw um, University of Oklahoma uh, president David Borens had photoshopped on uh, Captain America Winter Soldier's uh, body in order to beg that they be let out for a snow day. (laughs) So be my Winter Soldier. Hmm, that is something. All right, well, (laughs) let's go ahead and identify the disembodied voices speaking already at this very moment to your brain. To my left, sir. Who are you? I am Arthur Gordon, and Caleb, what about that girl in accounting? Uh, what, is it? Is it Lisa, Laura? Liza. Liza. <laughs> lip piercing, you know. I can see Caleb in the lip piercings. <laughs> into, the, into the lip piercing. I, I don't ask her because I, I know what she'd say if I did. <laughs> All righty. Okay, moving on down to the left in the flannel, sir. Who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart, and uh, sorry to barge in on you, Arthur. Uh, my wife kicked me out. No, very good, no very good. The one female voice at the table. Who are you, ma'am? My name is Alexander Bohannon. And do you guys, like, eat breakfast or something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys do that. <laughs> very good, very good. Uh, the last but not least, sir, who are you? Uh, my name's Caleb Masters. And uh, Dalton, if you want to stay ahead of me, uh, one step ahead of me, you, ha- you have to keep both eyes open. It's cooler when Sam Jackson says it. That was a cool bit, though. It was so cool. Yeah. Uh. Everything's cool when Sam Jackson says it. My name... What is operational? The air conditioning. <laughs> Sam Jackson gets to do some really cool shit in this movie. That's right. That's right. My name is Dustin Selznan, and in honor of the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon, Caleb, on your left, on your left. You wish you could, you wish <laughs> you could pass me on your left, Dustin. You wish. You wish. That was so clever. <laughs> so we're all here to talk. Captain America, Winter Soldier. We want to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show. And that means we are going to spoil the stew out of this but before we get into any of that and the rest of my standard spiel describing what's going to happen in the course of this show we have a special announcement mr dalton stewart what's happening this week on saturday may the 7th at 9 30 p.m in the plaza district in oklahoma city uh, at the parish you can see your beloved good trash media hosts uh taking part in uh, the Sad Dance Film Festival. Now, that's not a real film festival. I want to be very clear. This is a comedy show. Well, again, if you are interested in that, we are going to watch a bunch of really weird uh, comedy short films uh, and do what we do on the Good Trash Genre cast live um, to the best of our abilities uh, to a bunch of comedy shorts. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Again, that's Saturday, May 7th, 9.30 p.m., Sad Dance Film Festival. Not a real film festival. It's a comedy show. Hope to see you there, nerds. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. That thing that we do is exactly this, dear listener. We have a synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema, our quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, and then we get down to business. Up until that point at which we get down to said business, it is a spoiler-free zone. At business time, it is spoilerific, and you have now been 
warned. So, without any further ado, let's move on to that synopsis from the voice of cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon himself. As Steve Rogers struggles to embrace his role in the modern world, he teams up with a fellow Avenger and S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, the Black Widow, to battle a new threat from history, an assassin known as the Winter Soldier. Or just the title, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. It's all right there. With a little Black Widow. In black and white. (laughs) That would have been a very interesting movie. Shades of Blue. (laughs) I want to kiss you right on the mouth. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, well, there you go, dear listener. Now you know the synopsis of the film if you have not seen it. Now you get to hear what we think of it in terms of review. Mr. Caleb Masters, what is your thumbs up, thumbs down review? All right, Dustin. Well, I really like this movie a lot. Uh, you know, Marvel Studios has always gone for, at least in my opinion, always gone for spectacle and charm over substance. But I found that the Winter Soldier remains to be the biggest challenger of this notion. Uh, the film is having a very, very critical and intelligible conversation with the audience about world politics and the, the war on terrorism and post 9-11. Uh, now, with the exception of Nolan's uh, Bat films and a couple of the X-Men movies, I really don't feel like there's been any other mass appeal, uh, superhero movie at least, that has aspired to speak so directly to the real-world consequences and paranoia uh, that have risen out of uh, Western foreign and domestic policy since uh, 9-11. Um, so, I, you know, I really like that it's ha- trying to have a conversation about something really meaningful that I think most people, at least living in America, can relate to, if not, you know, in the rest of the world or Western world. Um, I do, the, the film it challenges the notions of freedom, security, uh, the complexity of, uh, you know, re- repercussions we've suffered. Um, and I, I feel like it's wrestling with American identity in the 21st century. And I, it's really a, a miracle a small miracle that such a such complex ideas were able to work themselves so intelligibly into a superhero movie in 2014. Yeah, 2014. Um, it's just a shame that Marvel Studios kind of snapped out of this uh, in the last act of the film and realized that they were still making a comic book movie where, oh shit, we've got to blow stuff up because that's what people came to see. And they kind of abandoned uh, a lot of the... The, the more interesting ideas the film was working with in that, in that final act. Uh, but as it stands, I still think that this holds as Marvel's best film yet and is a real uh, is a glimpse at the real potential they have to tell a riskier, more sophisticated story when they set their minds to it. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. What say you, Miss Alexander Bohannon, in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down review? Well, um, as this will surprise no one, this is my first time seeing this movie. That's like my catchphrase, as Dustin likes to so eloquently (laughs) remind me. But hey, how would you guys like to know that not be... I somehow avoided most of the spoilers on this movie. Somehow, even though I've seen the uh, Civil War trailer a few times. Of course, I maybe put the pieces a little together a little more quickly um, because I've seen the Civil War trailer a couple of times. Um, But this film is really wonderful. I think it does things that most post 9-11 superhero movies do not do. Um, and it's, um, then a lot of things that post 9-11 superhero movies actually do. And I know Caleb is going to talk later about, um, you know, that kind of transition in uh, post 9-11 cinema. So we'll get to get into the meat and potatoes of that conversation. But I do think this film is really interesting. I, I found it thrilling, action packed, I usually have a big issue of how um, women are treated in a lot of these uh, superhero movies, but I'm. This is probably my favorite 
rendition of uh, Black Widow. I felt really comfortable with uh, where she stood. It, she wasn't... Um, I, I think in Age of Ultron, there was a lot of feminist critique. And overall, everyone else was really good, and the CGI was excellent and beautiful, and there was also no big loss of civilians unlike other large superhero movies that <laughs> shall remain nameless um people were cognizant of gee maybe we should you know in this world build this giant airplane hangar deploying thing in an, in a body of water so it doesn't smash on a city that has over a hundred thousand people um yeah. So that's really exciting. I like this film a lot, and I hope you guys did too. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what say you in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down review? Well, I want to touch on something that Caleb said, which the the idea that this film is, you know, is working with a lot of ideas that are smarter than other Marvel movies. Uh, yes and no. Um, I, I think it's got window dressing that is smarter than some of the other Marvel movies. I don't think it actually follows any of those thoughts entirely through. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, and Marvel gets a bad rap for the plotting of its films, and I would argue that that's because they're character-first films, which I think is actually one of their strengths. Um, I, I've seen a very plot-heavy uh, superhero movie this year, and it wasn't particularly good. Uh, I, I think the strength of a lot of the Marvel films, uh, particularly this one, but also uh, Guardians of the Galaxy or even Ant-Man to some extent, is that these films uh, really are focused on telling you uh, a story about their uh, main characters and even their secondary characters. That's another thing that I think these films get really right, is that these films uh, do a really good job of paying service to even uh, tertiary characters, uh, both in terms of bringing back minor characters like Gary Shandling, Senator from Iron Man 2, um, you know, stuff like that, which I think is really cool. But at the end of the day, this is a story about Steve Rogers and what it means for him to be a World War II veteran who's carrying a lot of baggage from that conflict, waking up in 2015, uh, well, in 2012, having just uh, had to save the world and now being recruited to work for the shadowy spy agency. Um, you know, what his morals say about him, what they say about us. And I think that's part of what makes this film work really well, uh, as well as his, his friendships with uh, characters that will remain nameless for spoiler reasons, as well as uh, his budding friendship with uh, Sam Wilson, uh, played amazingly by Anthony Mackie. Anthony Mackie's the shit, um, but he's he's really great. There's just, like, so many small moments in this movie that you, like, say, Anthony Mackie is giving a speech to veterans about, like, trying to transition back to civilian life that's really kind of touching and really sweet and isn't something you would expect out of, uh, you know, a, a similar films of this ilk. Uh, ditto for the the banter between uh, Captain America and Black Widow, I, I think, is really great. Other than all that, I mean, the fights are fucking amazing. This film has some astonishing fight choreography. Um, again, there's some real snappy dialogue that I, I found uh, really charming. There's some genuinely affecting emotional moments. It's everything you could want uh, out of a action blockbuster, and I think it's firing on all cylinders, to be sure. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you in terms of thumbs up, thumbs down review? I think Winter Soldier is a standout action film. Uh, the Russo brothers do a great job of juggling all of these characters while slowly building to the interactions between Soldier and Cap. I think Robert Redford is one of the more impressive, quote-unquote, legitimate uh, actors that Marvel has brought into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think he's just a lot of fun here uh, and just plays his role very, very well. I like that this movie is fun and full of joy. It's just a blast to watch, I think, which is a, a trait of the Marvel films. 
Chris Evans is another example of near perfect casting from the Marvel team. Ugh, yeah, dude. As are many of the supporting heroes here. Uh, Winter Soldier, uh, the movie, is a logical evolution in tone and style from its predecessor. Uh, the more adult style, the heavier themes, and the darker tone in comparison to other MCU films uh, make this a standout uh, in one of the more interesting yet repetitive film experiments of the last couple of decades. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I think the movie really does work well. As Dalton has already said, the fight scenes are cash. And and, and Black Widow is also. Uh, Starlet Johansson's got some yeah. great stuff in there, and yeah. there, there's a bit of CGI there. Um, I did notice uh, the CGI being used, especially when he moved to his uh, lighter blue suit. It became a lot more mm-hmm. evident. And, you know, the standard problem I have with CGI is that those images don't have a lot of weight. They, they do seem to be insubstantial. But Sam Jackson does a great job. Scarlett Johansson does a great job. Johnny Storm <clears throat> um, does a great job as well. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it's all good. And uh, enjoy all that. Although I am troubled by this film, and this is a thing I've said before uh, a few times, that th- this movie, although like an action thriller from the 70s, it feels very much like the French Connection, a lot of other great stuff. Uh, man, this is a movie for kids, and they kill so many people in this movie. So many people die and die brutally. And this is a movie marketed to children. Well, therefore, I just simply have my standard problem I have with sort of the American rating system, you know, PG-13 sort of uh, violence where it is stylized mm-hmm. to an extent that, as Dalton has said before... Sleepy the, time bullets. Sleepy time bullets, right. Um, there's no blood, uh, you know, Black Widow slash Scarlett Johansson, guns down... Droves. Um, droves and droves of people. And uh, really, again, just very, very brutal kind of violence. But again, I guess I would say in the marketing, this appeals. Of course, they all appeal to children. They create the PG-13 mm-hmm. rating because of Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, these are marketed uh, to 9- and 8-year-olds, though. And uh, What do your 9- and uh, 11-year-old think of this movie? Uh, Josiah thought it was boring. Um, <laughs> that checks out. Yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of talking in this there, movie. There's a lot of talking. There's some action, but it's a lot of talking. He didn't really care. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, my, my 16 and 12 year old both thought, yeah, fun. Um, and it is, um, for all those reasons, but I, I'm again, troubled by this sort of desensitization to, you know, again, the massacring of droves of human beings, but dare not show a nipple, um, or we would, uh, now find ourselves in R rated territory. And I find that to be bizarre. So there you go, dear listener. Now, you know, our reviews and our, uh, feelings towards the movie, they are generally pro and, uh, what have you and whatnot, but let's take a moment as I look upon my watch i realize it's time to play the game all right dear listener our game this week are superhero films we'd like to see directed by classic directors uh, that's right Superhero films we'd like to see directed by classic directors brought to you by captain america colon the winter soldier Captain America, colon, the Winter Soldier. They really uh, wanted you to, to be reminded that this is a lot like Three Days of the Condor because they kept bringing it up in the marketing. And that's why we went with directors who were working prior to 1980. Yes, that is the stipulation upon the rule. Uh, directors who made their bones, who were uh, established as directors before 1980, and what superhero franchise film you would like to see them direct. I go to you first. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what have you to say? Uh, well, honestly, the the first superhero, and this is going to be all Marvel stuff. Uh, nothing against our DC fans. Uh, I just I know more about Marvel. I'm more invested in those characters uh, personally. Uh, so that's what immediately comes to mind for me. Uh, the first thing that came to mind for me was uh, The Punisher, is directed by John Cassavetes. Uh, can you yes. think of a more perfect pairing of content and auteur? I mean, holy shit! 
That'd be pretty cool, right? Yeah. Uh, obviously, I went with a lot of... We, I w- we're talking about people who were working before 1980. There's going to be a lot of dead directors here, uh, and a lot of them who were working before their characters were introduced, so deal with it. Um, secondly, um, I thought, thought of one of my favorite uh, directors from this era, you know, 60, 50 through 80. I, I thought of Sidney Lumet. Um, uh, Sidney Lumet directing something really like The Winter Soldier just because of the, how political his films were, uh, 12 Angry Men and... Uh, uh, fail safe, uh, but I also thought about something even you know like Daredevil or Luke Cage, just because of uh, the film he made, his last film uh, before The Devil Knows You're Dead, uh, which I know is you know made fairly recently, 2005 I think, but he was working before 1980. Um, but you know the kind of the low stakes criminality featured in that film really made me think of something like Luke Cage or Daredevil, and I think that would be really cool. Uh, my last pick. Um, what, what am I going to do? Not say Martin Scorsese? I, 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 no, no, no. I'm going to say Martin Scorsese, you son of a bitch. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say it now, too. And I think probably everybody at this table, there's a good chance that they're going to say Martin Scorsese because he's the man. He's the fucking dude. He is. Um, and I honestly couldn't decide what I would want him to direct. Uh, so I went with Wolverine uh, just for no reason other than I thought it would be cool. I also thought about Akira Kurosawa directing a Wolverine movie for obvious yes. reasons. Ooh, yeah, I mean, the yeah. Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. well, with the, yeah, the Thanks for that stuff. throwaway pick that stole someone else's pick. Go on. Yeah, well, and those, those are just the ones that were kicking around in my head. I think, okay. I had the benefit of getting to go first. I'm sorry. You did, yes. story. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Well, Alex, go ahead. What, what are your selections? Okay. Um, I think I would like to pick, uh, do a uh, Federico Fellini uh, directing Ooh. a Superman movie. Okay. Yes. Uh, because I want to see that ennui of Superman being Superman and being uh, this, the kind of ennui that we get um, in uh, The Watchmen where you have uh, Dr. Manhattan. Thank you. You're welcome. When we have Dr. Manhattan, um, you know, on his planet, you know, dealing with the fact that he is so super powered and is bored. Um, you know, what what can you do when you're a god kind of a kind of a thing. I would also uh, Prop, uh, I would also propose that it would be also interesting to see, well, I just really want to see a Wonder Woman movie, but why not have Jean-Luc Godard direct it? I don't know. Um, yes. That would be really cool. I think it would be interesting to see his take on, um, he has really interesting female characters, and the up- epic stylization of that would be uh, fucking phenomenal. For Jean-Luc Godard's resume film for this particular pitch, check out Made in USA. That's all I have to say. Awesome. And then last but not least, um, I knew I was going to do uh, Terry Gilliam, but I didn't know what uh, movie I wanted him to direct. So, but I'm going to have him direct Deadpool because that would be so <laughs> interesting. Ragging on the studio system so yeah. hard. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not only do you have that le- layer of meta textuality already, you're going to, uh, like content-wise, you're going to have Terry Gilliam direct this movie, which would be like twice as subversive and probably yeah, twice... Ne- needing twice the studio intervention and things of that nature. It'd be really fascinating. And it'd be like lots of interesting gore and world building, which I think... I don't know. In terms of Deadpool, I got a little bored in the middle of it, not to like go over Deadpool. I did too, Um, I think that would have maybe saved... Uh, some Deadpool is have Terry Gilliam directed. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Yep. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what are your selections? I want to kick it off with a, an adaptation of the Marvel Noir line. Yeah, uh, man. Ooh. It could be X-Men Noir or Spider-Man Noir, as directed by Billy Wilder. Fuck yeah. That's good. My uh, man, One yes. of the greats in that genre tackling Marvel with his stylish direction and a razor-sharp, quick dialogue, I think would just be a blast. Uh, next, I want to see The Long Halloween, as directed by... Martin Scorsese. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. There. That's what he should have directed. I, no. I got it's stuck in long, Marvel. It's a long movie, yeah. though. I should have yeah. thought about all. The, I should have thought about <laughs> all the gangsters. He's keen though. on that. He he likes those long movies. <laughs> so, that would uh, totally. Yeah. Uh, the Scorsese of Taxi Driver and Raging Bull could do wonders for this gritty, dark bat story of the mafia. Uh, absolutely. And I think I can up your Cassavetes because mm-hmm. I want to see The Punisher as directed by Sam Peckinpah. Oh shit! That's who I. Damn it! Oh, you <laughs> son of a bitch! Yeah. That's so much better. Yeah. yeah. Oh. The innovator of ultraviolence takes on Frank Castle as he rolls into town to wipe out as many bad guys as he can in 90 minutes i'm on board yeah that'd be so cool yeah oh good pick man yeah. i you know when you said billy wilder i thought you were gonna say daredevil oh that'd be fun yeah right yeah excellent excellent thank you very much for that mr arthur gordon mr caleb masters what are your selections yeah well i was you know thinking about uh, classics and in uh, 2001 a film about human evolution what better pick than the x-men come on taking all those themes and applying it to a team of super mutants who are evolving beyond human human space you know and they fight freaking how they they basically fight how right they fight uh i don't know there's a robot in there somewhere the sentinels well, they fight the sentinels exactly see there you go <laughs> modok that would be, oh yeah, uh, Modok is a robot, isn't he? Technically, right? Two thousand one, yeah, not being the name of the film. Well, no, it'd be, well, it'd be, it'd be X Men two thousand and Wait, one. No, but the directed by, by directed by Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. There you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So of course you have to have Stanley Kubrick. Uh, I'd also go with uh, none other than the Great Escapes, John Sturgis uh, oh, for man. the Suicide Squad. Yeah, uh, come on, <laughs> come on! Like nice. that is the match made in heaven right there. I want to see that movie. Um, I, for my Martin Scorsese pick, I went with The Punisher because I was thinking uh, you do Goodfellas style, uh, make it like make him more tragic make him a little more he's still he's still he's still kind of a scumbag but you you relate to him and you give him you you spend that extra run time you're gonna get from scorsese to flesh that character out because i feel like the punisher still hasn't quite well uh with the exception of daredevil the new show uh, season two of daredevil that is he hasn't up until this point really gotten a lot of uh they haven't really fleshed that character out properly, at least not in the film. So get scorsese you'd make a two and a half hour three hour epic about the punisher and lastly Going back to the old West, I'm not a Western fan, but I'll tell you a Western I would watch. I would watch Clint Eastwood direct the hell out of Jonah Hex. Okay, yeah. I was actually thinking about John Ford's Jonah Hex, too. I dig Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. Very, very not bad. Thank you very much for that. I do want to say Akira Kurosawa's Wolverine. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh, Why? why, Obviously. Natural. Um, Also, one Francis Ford Coppola directing Daredevil. All right. All up in Kingpin's business. That is a perspective from which we're going to tell that story. Yeah. Uh, It's going to be super, super fun times. Also, I think we got to take a look at a John Constantine movie directed by John Huston of Maltese Falcon fame. Good pick. And uh, that would be just super, super fun. And speaking of detecting and detectives, maybe the world's greatest detective, Batman, directed by Orson Welles. That's right. He's Citizen Kane. And uh, playing that game. He is Citizen Kane. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. He can play Batman. Oh, my God. Martha. Uh, And uh, so that would be a lot of fun. Uh, lastly, in, in terms of genre fiction, it's something a little bit strange, I guess. Dario Argento taking mm-hmm. on the Midnight Suns. That's right. Blade, Ghost Rider, and Morbius together in that uh, candy-colored surreal confection Fuck of directing. Yes. That is one Dario cool. Argento. Good pick, man. And it would be good times had by all. So those are our selections. Dear listener. Dustin, this... you won, no, by the way. I no, don't. Dario Argento's <laughs> Midnight Suns yeah. is the winner. <laughs> Marvel Knights, whichever one you want to go with. Either one would be great. Yeah, yeah it's good times. And uh, we, yeah, it would be fun, 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 um, dear listener. This is a game that could go on forever. So help it go on forever via social media. Stay tuned to the end of the show to find out where you can participate in all of that good stuff. Now, before we move on to our business, we have a special announcement. Yes, that's two per show. Ms. Alexander Bohannon and Mr. Caleb Masters. Uh, there's a live show happening. Could you tell us a little something, something about that? 
That's right, Dustin. So on June 3rd, we're going to be presenting our first live show of 2016. This is going to be a screening of the Planet Thunder Productions film, The Fable of Shannon Cable. And it's going to be hosted in the Plaza District at the Parish. And it's going to start at 7.30 in the Parish. And it's going to go until close, which, you know, 10.30 to 11. And so there's going to be food, beverages that food and beverages that you can buy from the next door cafe we're also going to have uh, a panel of the film producers and actors and people that you can meet and greet and t-shirts you can buy and stickers you can acquire and it's just going to be a great time anything else you want to add caleb no just come out uh hang out with us we've been wanting to you know it's, we've actually gotten a lot of requests people to like to go do live shows uh more recently and we want to hang out with you guys this is a great opportunity if you're if you're local one of our listeners who are local to oklahoma city to come on down to the parish down on the plaza uh, it'll be a lot of fun to just to kind of hang out talk to you guys and be able to talk about a real uh talk about you know this this film and some uh, other really exciting uh, upcoming films so keep your eyes peeled on our Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com forward slash good trash media. And then you'll have all of that I- event information, address, times, guests, promotion, everything you can find on that. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, guys. I think now it's time to get down to business. It's That's right, dear listener, and that business in question is, as always, analysis. Washing the shield's not part of the analysis, but it's important. It's very, very important. <laughs> so is eating breakfast, apparently. But yes, moving, because apparently they do that. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's bring some analysis. I'm going to start with you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, because I think your analysis, as you talk to me off mic, might help set the stage for what we're dealing with here. Uh, okay. Not a problem, Dustin. Thanks for that. I want to talk about film cycles today, because... On the day this episode drops, we will be on the dawn of the 13th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Good God, An experiment that started in 2008 with Iron Man. Uh, The 2000s saw a resurgence in comic book films thanks to Blade, X-Men, and Spider-Man, all showing that there was an audience for these films. Uh, That's not to mention the power of Chris Nolan and Batman. If we go back to 1998 and the release of Blade, then we can mark the beginning of a film cycle that has lasted for nearly two decades as is showing no signs of slowing down, considering Marvel has films marked out to like 2020 or so. Yeah, and, and DC both, and uh, Warner Brothers both. Nobody cares about Warner Brothers. Yeah, nobody gives a fuck about them. But it is the modern Western, for all <laughs> intents and purposes. Yes, yes. Very accurate comparison, Dalton. A film cycle refers to a time frame in which a certain genre or subgenre gains particular momentum and is, simply put, all the rage of the time. Uh, in the early days of American cinema, the Western, as Dalton mentioned, was the dominant genre. And, but as time went on, the world evolved and changed and the Western fizzled out. That cycle ended. That's not to say that the genre ended, but the cycle itself, uh, the popularity just waned and petered out. It's a recurring theme that we see out of Hollywood. Typically, these cycles will last a decade or two and are at the forefront of the public eye. We think about MGM's musicals, uh, Universal's horror films, a cycle revived by Hammer Horror later in the 20th century. Uh, We then see the cycle from the new Hollywood in the late 60s and into the 70s. Uh, We see the spaghetti westerns, as we talked about with Django last week, coming through. And then a spate of post-Vietnam War films from Kubrick, Stone, and the like. Uh, In the 80s, we got our first taste of a superhero cycle, limited as it was, first with the Superman films and the turn to Batman in 89, which saw a small push with the adaptation of The Crow in the early 90s. Uh, But if Burton's Batman lent any credibility to the genre, Schumacher quickly burnt that goodwill. 
and for a period of time, it didn't look like superhero films would make it. Now, I wouldn't classify this period as a cycle. I do believe that 89's Batman was the start of a cycle that was aborted before it could fully take off. Film cycles often reflect the culture of the time. If we were to look back at the universal horror films, we see a cycle that fizzled because the horrors of Dracula and the Wolfman could no longer match the real-life horrors that returning soldiers had faced, and we got a shift into a more realistic cinema where things weren't so black and white and a focus on method acting became the norm. The films of the new Hollywood were similarly reflective of the counter uh, culture arising in the 60s about rising up against conformity and fighting the man. Uh, Butch and Sundance, Bonnie and Clyde, Easy Rider. Uh, these were the stories of the counterculture, and they not only spoke to a generation, but they changed cinema. Moving back to 89 and Batman, we see a dark take on the Batman, a stark contrast to the 66 Batman portrayed so cheesefully by Adam West. I think we can safely say that Burton's film drew upon the dark and gritty ideas presented by Frank Miller in The Dark Knight Returns. This darker attitude would come to reflect the counterculture of the time from the anti-authority of the punk movement to the birth of metal and the goth and grunge cultures of the early 90s. Uh, dark was in and it was the style of a new generation. This baton is carried by Proyas' adaptation of The Crow. However, uh, when Schumacher took the reins from Burton and the tone of the Bat films changed, it no longer reflected the counterculture and cycled, the cycle burnt out before its time. This moves us into the 2000s and the rule of Marvel. Uh, with the production of Blade in 98, critics and audiences saw once again that darker, more adult comic book adaptations could work. Uh, we were then gifted with Brian Singer's X-Men and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, which continued this push. X-Men was the smartest of these to lead with because the film captured the spirit of the original comic series, which was a commentary on racism in the days of King and Malcolm X. Uh, Singer's movie was able to apply that same critique in his 2000 film, this time moving from racial prejudice to prejudices of identity and selfhood. And as these things began to become safer, it became safer to be yourself, and the counterculture soon became very nerdy. The comic dweebs who lived in fear in the past were able to finally take their place in the social spotlight. And with this shift of the social structure, Marvel has been able to thrive because it is now cool to like superheroes, whether you're 5 or 35. Uh, jocks like these films, girls like these films, uh, country boys like these films, city people like these films. Uh, which means that until a new societal shift in the culture or counterculture uh, occurs or the kids quit finding these movies cool... We're stuck with them until 2020. The nerds later. have won. For now. I wanna, we'll be back. I want to kiss you right now. That, that was, was so good. That was amazing. Yeah. Right on, right Ugh. on. You're a, you're a beast. All right, all right, all right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what analysis do you bring? Yeah, well, I want to talk a little bit about how this film is a post- Post September 11th film, so a post post 9/11 film. Uh, what I, so uh, I'm gonna gonna kind of uh, set the stage here a little bit uh, by saying that Hollywood and American filmmaking has gone under undergone an extensive grieving process following the events of 9/11 um, in the wake of the terrorist attack. Immediate wake. <clears throat> In the immediate wake of the terrorist attack, a lot of films were censored to remove any evidence of the iconic buildings, uh, as noted with uh, the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man uh, or even the Bourne Identity. Uh, before uh, we eventually kind of moved on in the grieving process, uh, and uh, and then you get to the late 2000s, uh, first decade of the 2000s, you actually have films like uh, Transformers, even Man of Steel. They're channeling the destruction 
as a as a as a way to uh, to kind of create some sort of emotional catharsis, which is a, a, again a different step in the grieving process. Now, entertainment in the years immediately following nine eleven favored vigilantes doing anything necessary to to thwart the bad guys. Now, while we didn't necessarily trust the government per se, we sure did trust those. Uh, we trusted uh, the one man or the one woman with all the power they needed in order to bring justice and order to the world. Uh, you can see this in films like Bad Boys Two, uh, the TV show Twenty Four, uh, the remake of the A Team, or even other superhero films like The Dark Knight or even the both of the Punisher films. Audiences, while not trusting the government, trusted the goodwill of trustworthy quote unquote trustworthy people. Um, you give them all the power they need to get the job done. That's what we need to, to fight terrorism. We need to uh, give hand over power to these people because uh, America at that point in time saw itself as the world's vigilante fighting the bad guys. Even though we're the most powerful country in the world, we were still the vigilante beating, capturing the bad, capturing the bad guys and taking them out. Right? Because that was our job. That was how we saw ourselves in the in the, you know, the, the the decade following nine uh, eleven. Now this is a uh, this this is an idea that did stick around and to some degree is still around, but uh, especially in the mainstream, you see films like Watchmen in two thousand nine and even Kick Ass in two thousand ten, where we still support this idea of uh, vigilantism. Uh, now there was a this is natural and although arguably unhealthy, it was a very natural reaction to what happened uh, with nine eleven and uh, and the philosophy we applied to the war on terrorism. Now. Bring us up to date, the, the following decade, the 2010s, uh, starting in 2011, we've begun to enter into a, a different era where we are now reacting to how we reacted to September 11th. Uh, instead of celebrating vigilante security, we realize, oh shit, we gave a bunch of power to people who might not be trustworthy, and now we're paranoid. We're paranoid of government surveillance. Uh, we're paranoid of people taking our freedoms away. Uh, we're less worried about the protection uh, we need from external threats, but more afraid of the corruption of the internal threats. Uh, the, you can see this, uh, the, this type of paranoia that creeps into blockbusters like um, Fast and Furious 7, mo- uh, most notably last year with The God's Eye. Uh, we saw I, me and Arthur uh, reviewed Eye in the Sky a couple weeks ago talking about drone warfare. Uh, you see uh, three thrillers like uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and even science fiction, uh, you know, science fiction flicks like Eagle Eye. People were now terrified that following 9-11, we had given Big Brother everything he needed to, to take our freedoms away. Um, so, despite the fact that we spent an entire decade arguing that uh, it was okay to sacrifice, make those small concessions for privacy and the smaller liberties, they were worth it to catch the bad guy. Until we realized, oh crap, this isn't working either. Now, a good analogy I would draw in there is airports. We all said, yeah, put all that we, we want. We want to catch terrorists. We want to catch any potential threats. So, we're going to increase air, airport security. And then we increase airport security. Everyone's like, "Oh, I don't want you in my business, man. You're getting personal. You're you are you're you're violating my personal space. You're violating my rights." Well, which is it? We can't have it. We can't have our cake and eat it too. Yeah. I mean, granted, it's an impartial. It's a flawed system because we know you get into racial profiling and all sorts of other issues when you get to that point. But the analogy I would think of it is with airports. You say we want to, yes concede. We we will concede that safety. Uh, we will concede the freedom of getting in and out of an airport very quickly so that we are secure. We did. But we don't like doing that. Now, Captain America Winter Soldier perfectly encapsulates this, this crisis of identity and the explore, uh, exploration of American values following the 9-11. 
uh, the film is demonstrating a more traditional idea of what America is supposed to be versus what it has become. Steve Rogers is the ideal of um, uh, of America, while Nick Fury serves as a more pragmatic counter-argument and believes that Cap's worldview is impractical without making those concessions. And even though there's a fundamental disagreement, both of them uh, do serve the system in an attempt to make the world a better place. The real villain is ideology, uh, of Hydra in this case. Uh, the real villain, who in this film is represented by Robert Redford himself, Alexander, uh, Alexander Pierce. Uh, he's an American who was compromised by an evil uh, ideology over the year and fell to corruption. He is now the, the internal threat we were worried about. He is coming back on us. He is, take, he is using all that th- authority that we over the years conceded to him to take our freedoms back away. And in the, in the context of the movie, because it's a comic book movie, we've got to up the ante. He's going to kill like hundreds of millions of people. Um, now, uh, while, while Fury most certainly agree, uh, supports the idea of government control, he does not support the ideology. And I think that's a very uh, crucial piece to walk away with. This film is not saying big government's the problem. Uh, this film is saying the ideology driving the big government is the problem. Um, so Nick Fury supports big government, does not support, uh, does not support Hydra. Um, now Captain America Winter Soldier, I think, uh, serves as a great litmus test for this kind of post post nine eleven era of filmmaking we're in. We've now realized that oh, what we did last that was not right, but now we're having to deal with the repercussions, and this isn't right. So what are we doing? Like who who are we? Can we still maintain those core amount American values that Captain America you know stood for back when he was created in the nineteen forties? Uh, do you have this truth American the uh, truth justice in the American way? You know all that stuff. Uh, this old traditional. I know. I know Superman. I got. Yeah, I know. Uh, so, do 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 are those values obtainable in a world where we're having to be more pragmatic, where we're have, having to sacrifice uh, our our freedoms so that we can be secure? What's more important, the freedom and security? And this film is wrestling with all that. And I, I don't think that, that Winter Soldier, its biggest problem is it doesn't it does not make a definitive st- statement about what is American, but it does wrestle with it and it presents thoughtful and and, and what I what I see is compelling arguments even though it doesn't resolve them. So, in a way, this is a film representing where we're all at. I mean, in America's at today. We don't know. We don't really know what we are anymore. Um, we really don't. And we don't have... It's, it's kind of hard to, to nail it down and answer. So, we just are. And we're talking... When we're having a conversation. In this case... In, this, in, the, in the context of this film, it's, it's having a conversation with itself and the audience. Uh, but, like Captain America, Steve Rogers, who now appears to be homeless without, an ident- without any real understanding of where his identity fits in, uh, we, too, should continue to search for our, our, our identity in this kind of postmodern America and post-9-11 uh, era. Thank you very much for that analysis, Mr. Caleb Masters. I believe there will be additional information on that subject right now from Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, there most certainly will be. Uh, last week on Django, I talked a lot about uh, the creation of the silent, cold-blooded killer uh, in our action films as a reaction uh, to the, the culture cultural shifts of the 1960s. Um, and I think what Captain America represents is the shift in our culture yet again with uh, superheroes as our, our primary action guys uh, and gals, which is great because there's not a lot of uh, Lady uh, Cowpoke, uh, but there are certainly a lot of, uh, well, there could be more Lady superheroes, but there are definitely more Lady superheroes than there are badass Western ladies. Um, so, and I think why, basically this is my treatise on why Captain America is the shit. Uh, let's get get that out of the way right now. Um I think what Caleb has touched on is really interesting, and I think uh, what I think works so well about 
the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Captain America, and really a, a lot of versions of Captain America, is uh, Caleb, you talked about this, basically this struggle between big government ideology between uh, Alexander Pierce and Nick Fury. Uh, Captain America is interested in transparency. He is interested in an America that actually stands up for what it says it stands up for, that stands up for the tired and poor huddled masses and actually gives a shit about humanity um, and um, people and what they go through and what they suffer through. And he says any system that has to lie to self-sustain itself doesn't deserve to be a system. Which is why him and Black Widow uh, snowed in S.H.I.E.L.D. at the end of this movie, which is pretty fucking cool uh, in terms of taking a stance. Now, again, I did say earlier that the uh, political trappings of this film really just are window dressings that serve to make it look more interesting. But I think the most interesting thing comes uh, in the latter moments of this film. And I think it does kind of segue into, uh, you know, based on what we're seeing with uh, the, the marketing for Captain America Civil War, which, you know, we, we did choose to revisit Winter Soldier in anticipation for, um, <clears throat> we, we see a, a captain that is not willing to kowtow to an American government um, that is unwilling to to respect people's personal liberties and respect people's uh, not only their privacy, but their right to know what the government is doing on their behalf. Um, and his willingness to, frankly, to completely defy systems uh, for what is morally correct and what is morally uh, right. I mean, this whole movie comes down to, and again, as we're seeing with the marketing versus of war, it comes down to uh, one guy trying to remind his friend of who he used to be. Um, and I think that's really powerful, uh, and I think that's really emotionally nuanced for a superhero movie, uh, is the friendship between uh, Steve Rogers and Bucky. Um, because it moved me several times in ways that I was really surprised by, that I did not see coming. Um, uh, just this idea that, at the end of the day, uh, Steve cares about two things, making sure uh, bad things don't happen to good people, and, and making sure people do the right thing. Um, and, and I think that is part of what works about him as a character, and especially in this film is what... I mean, Dustin has talked about this on the show before. Um, in the 1970s, uh, actually, um, Captain America resigned his commission with the U.S. Army during the Vietnam War. Uh, and I think that says a lot about who he is as a character. And I think this film does a lot to to continue those themes about what Captain America is about. Uh, he's about doing the right thing. He is about America as it perceives itself to be, not as it truly is. Um, and I think throughout his history, uh, Cap is more often than not um, operating uh, against uh, American political policy um, than he uh, than you would think. Uh, and, and a lot of when they were marketing Captain America, the first Avenger. There was a lot of talk about whether or not this film could open overseas, you know, whether or not this movie would really do well at all. And that's part of why they gave the subtitle, the first Avenger globally, um, because they were like, we can't just put out a movie called Captain America. No one's going to go see this fucking movie. Uh, and that was really a lot of the thinking. And honestly, there, there's probably some truth to that, but I, I think what works about Steve Rogers as a character, um, is this innate morality? Um, is this, uh, and again, I don't want to bleed too much over into a film that isn't this film, uh, but there's this great moment in the first Captain America movie where um, Stanley Tucci says, you know, uh, Chris Evans is like, you know, why me? Like, why are you picking me? Uh, and Stanley Tucci says to him, because a weak man knows the value of strength. 
strongmen have kind of a lost perspective on things. Uh, and at the end of the day, that is what Steve Rogers is about, is for standing up for people who cannot stand up for themselves because he knows what that's like. Uh, and I think that's what helps him operate so well as a character and helps him really operate well as a post-9-11 character, uh, is saying, look, just because something seems like a good idea at the time doesn't mean you should do it. Just because something promises safety uh, doesn't mean it's going to work out because every time you try to pre uh, preemptively stop a war, you start one. Uh, as he so wisely points out to Nick Fury, every time. There is no exception. Um, trying to uh, take preventative measures always makes you the bad guy. Um, so I, I think what Steve is advocating for is a transparent form of really kind of a beautiful anarchy in a lot of ways. And um, I think it's kind of fucking awesome. Awesome, awesome. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. That was certainly a ray of sunshine. I am here to be the Black Cloud um, in doing some analysis, because I do believe that is the intention, the uh, sort of inflappable moral goodness of Steve Rogers slash Captain America is totally present in the character. But I also think anything that is done in a corporate machine, I'm talking about Disney, and I'm talking about Marvel Studios, and I'm talking about uh, just uh, the... Um, the nature of large, powerful agencies in the world is going to be something that's going to be fraught with difficulty, and I want to do something called ideology critique. And when I'm talking about ideology, I'm not necessarily talking about you know this particular theory of how the world's run versus that particular theory of how the world's run. I'm talking about uh, ideology in the Marxist sense, um, at the Marxist sense as described by one Slavoj Zizek. That's right, he came up again, and Zizek talks about uh, ideology as the thing that you do without realizing you're doing it. It is the uh, the system that is something uh, that is somewhat invisible. Uh, I, again, uh, take take a good look at John Carpenter's "They Live," and uh, you'll have a good idea of what we're talking about. I'm just being able to see some of the stuff that's hidden inside culture. Now, this film is attempting with uh, Steve Rogers' character, who is uh, morally unflappable, to take on a couple of ideas. Uh, we've talked a lot about surveillance today, and their reference to Edward Snowden is not lost on anyone, I don't think, uh, in which that if you give an agency too much power, too much surveillance, too much authority without you know respect to rights and privacies, that they're going to in, uh, invariably abuse that power. Well, especially if there is a lack of oversight and... Right. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, without a, without any oversight, it's going to be something that's going to be very, very problematic, um, and it's going to be something that's going to uh, be abused in the future. Also, this film is dealing with, at, to an extent, some of that uh, same issue that plagued Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, which is the idea of how they knocked down half of New York City in the first Avengers film. And so there are um, steps taken in this film. Uh, and also in Avengers Age of Ultron to sort of point out uh, civilian casualties are being limited. We're not doing as much as we can to kill, you know, th those sorts of things. Well, and I think something that uh, all of the Marvel's uh, large-scale destruction does a really good job of is making it about saving people. Uh, the mission is always saving people. Uh, in Batman v Superman, I couldn't fucking tell you what the mission is. I think it's to beat each other up. Um, in Avengers, it is about saving the people of New York, if not the planet. In... Um, Captain America the Winter Soldier, it's about saving lives. And in um, Avengers Age of Ultron, it's about saving lives. It always comes down to, and there are 
several shots uh, in both of those Avengers films of the team saving people. Uh, not so much in this, because this is more of a political thriller. Sure. Uh, it, the saving people is more of a, an idea than an actual in-practice thing. But, but to your point, in Age of Ultron, there is that massive Hulkbuster uh, fight scene between um, Iron Man and the Hulk, in which one of the weapons, one of the resources, one of uh, the bits of material, the Hulk himself, has kind of gone loose in a very heavily populated area. And that there is um, kind of a collateral damage that just takes place because of his presence there. Now, Well, and there's a reckoning with that. I there mean, is. We see uh, a Bruce Banner who is deeply disturbed by what he's done. Sure, sure, and obviously he feels very, very badly. Yeah, he's very, very sad about this. But what what happens with ideology is that they also point to a certain level of inevitability. And that is the problem with the ideology. Mm -hmm. This is how this film fails to have teeth in its critique, is that, yes, this is bad to do that sort of surveillance. Yes, it's bad to have this sort of group of people who are accountable to no one. So how do we answer that? With the Avengers, a group of people who are accountable to no one. Um, that there are people who have to take out, there are bad guys out there. And when you go out and take out bad guys, some innocent people are just going to get hurt. And what you've got to make sure is that you're on the side of right, that you're on the side of those who are without any sort of uh, moral ambiguity, those who are clearly good. And you know, it's amazing that the ones who are clearly good, the ones who clearly lack moral ambiguity, are usually from our team. They look like us, they think like us, they pray like us, and they tend to uh, Subscribe to the same sort of political ideologies that we subscribe to. And in that way, this film, though it attempts a critique, what it ends up doing is continuing to prop up the hegemony of the current system. The hegemony being, again, that inevitable sort of basic understanding that this is just the way things are. And replace it with something that is uh, what we would feel like as we watch the film. The Avengers, they're all good guys, right? Um, they're, they're, they're on our side. Uh, in the same way, you know, well, they're Americans. They're all good guys. They're all on our side. They're, 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 you know the imams they're they're all on our side uh whatever tribe you're coming from whatever team you're playing for they're like us so they're the ones we want to have all this authority power and whatnot because they're going to use that power well uh and that is how ideology continues to be insidious and this film is an example of its insidious nature so there you go dear listener that's our analysis here comes the money here we go money talk here comes the money This week, we want to thank our newest patrons, Nathaniel Masters and Robert Story. These fine gentlemen have opted to support the Good Trash Media Network. And for that, we are extremely humbled and very grateful. It is through the support of listeners such as Nathaniel and Robert that we are able to deliver the quality and quantity of content that we do. Because of the pledges of our wonderful patrons, we've been able to get business cards, upgrade equipment, purchase a camera for live streaming, and that is just the tip of the iceberg for 2016. We have so many surprises in store for you, dear listener. So again, to those who have pledged, thank you. Thank you so much. And if you're not sure about pledging uh, but want more information, then go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. That's patreon.com forward slash GTM. Or go to goodtrashmedia.com and click become a patron. Again, thank you so much. And back to the show. I think she smell my cologne. It's called brand new money. Make them make the moves. Man, ain't a damn thing funny. Pippin' hood rats to playboy bunnies. They see the...
We'd love to hear what you've got to say about that. We'd love to hear more about that here in just a minute. But before we get into that, we must render a verdict, a very, very quick verdict, shell for trash, and then quickly, our else's or instead's. I go to you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What do you say? Shell for trash, else or instead? Uh, I say shelf. I think you can watch this film separate from the entire uh, cinematic universe and enjoy it just as an action kind of espionage film. Uh, I think it's just a lot of fun, and it's uh, a solid work and in the vein of Bond or Mission Impossible, uh, the later Mission Impossible films. Uh, I would pair this with uh, Rogue Nation or Ghost Protocol, uh, Skyfall, and then I would finish out with uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid for more Robert, Redne- Robert Redford goodness. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Show for trash? Elsewhere instead. I'm also going to shelf it. Um, I don't know about it being an essential film, but uh, everything Arthur said is correct. Uh, it works very well separately from the other Marvel movies, but I think within the other the confines of the other Marvel movies, it shows the benefits of this long-form storytelling that the Marvel movies are doing uh, and, and what can work really well about that kind of thing. And also, yeah, it, it's fun as all get out, and uh, there's awesome fight scenes and fun quips. Um, it, it's it's as, as fun as a, a crowd movie can be. Um, to pair with it, I'm going to go with some more serious fare. Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which came up earlier, uh, because it, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is trying to capture that kind of 70s, uh, three days of the Condor uh, kind of thing. Um, and I think it does a very good job of doing that. And also, I just don't think enough people have seen Tinker Taylor, and I, I, I love relish any chance to recommend it. And finally, uh, I want to recommend you pair it with uh, Citizen Four, uh, based on the allusions to uh, Edward Snowden within the plot of the film. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you say? Shelf for trash, else or instead? For the same reasons that Dalton and others have shelved it, I'm also going to shelf it. I mean, it's not going to be... Um, yeah, it's not essential viewing by any means, but if you're a superhero fan, a Marvel fan, um, a fan of, uh, big action movies, I think that this is really a good film for those, for those needs. I never really found the character of Captain America compelling. Um, that's why I've just never really wanted to watch the first Cap movie, um, you know, the first Avenger. Um, but then after this movie was talked up to me so much, I was, I, you know, became more interested. And they do a good job of making this character interesting and accessible for people that didn't grow up on the comics like many of my comrades did. I would also recommend, again, I, I was, I'm kind of echoing, like, you know, your James Bond, your Mission Impossibles. That's kind of my, uh, you, you get those spy espionage fr- thrillers, maybe if you... Um, it's not necessarily the best movie I've ever seen, but The Man from Uncle, if you want more kind of espionage, throwback spy fare, um, that, you know, that kind of team player-ishness. So th- those would be my picks for sure. Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohan and Mr. Caleb Masters. What do you say? Shelf for trash, else or instead? Yeah, I definitely shelf this. I uh, own more of these Marvel films than I care to admit. Um, honestly, in, in retrospect, not very many of them hold up very well at all. Um, although, this is one I wish I did have on my shelf because I think this one does hold up really, really well. Uh, and while it is kind of late, a little too late in the Marvel cycle, it's a little too, it's already, the, 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 the formula has worn on it a bit. So it's a little more for, less memorable, I think, you know, than it would have been if it had come out like three or four years ago. Um, I still think it's probably, if I'm going to recommend three films from the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far, this is going to be one of them. Uh, no question about it. So for that reason, I shelf it. Um, I I mean, yeah, this, uh, echoing the sentiments here, I would say Casino Royale, a uh, great espionage film if you want to look at something with a little more teeth. Uh, the Bourne films, Bourne Supremacy, Bourne Ultimatum, Bourne Identity, all those are really, really fun. Um, I would also, if I was going to pick one Mission Impossible, was going to roll with uh, Ghost Protocol. Um, and um, I'm really glad... Uh, 
Dalton mentioned the documentary Citizen Four. That it's incredible. If you have access to HBO at all in any form, go check it out on HBO Go or HBO Now because it's streaming there. Really, really great. And lastly, just to kind of talk about the kind of this uh, post nine eleven reaction that I kind of mentioned in my analysis, uh, check out either the Hurt Locker and or Zero Dark Thirty. Ooh, if you watch the Hurt Locker, you get more Anthony Mackie. That's true. Precisely. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. I am going to say trash. You don't need to buy this movie. It's good. It's the second best Marvel movie. I mean, absolutely, I think it's that. The best one's Guardians of the Galaxy. and uh, That's not wrong. Yeah. Th- okay. Um, but it's it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And it's it's fun, but it's 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 just not life-changing sort of stuff. I mean, just I don't see you dropping the coin on this particular film. So, yeah, sorry. I, I, I broke up the unanimity. Uh, but it's worth seeing if you get a chance. <laughs> Shameless anarchist pig. You know, whatever. Um, As far as political cinema that sort of touches on these things, I I think some obvious picks, including Citizen Four, which I think is a great selection. Um, Also, Slavoj Žižek's The Pervert's Guide to Ideology, I think might be uh, helpful uh, regarding this film. And then in terms of narrative cinema, check out V for Vendetta and also Children of Men. And uh, you know, you might think some other things. Uh, And Maybe helpful, maybe not. Uh, just check it out and tell us what you think about all of that. And the way you can tell us what you think is via social media. Alex has already mentioned that address, but do it one more time, Miss Bohannon, if you would. You can find us at www.facebook.com forward slash goodtrashmedia. You can find us at our parent website, goodtrashmedia.com. And you can also find us at patreon.com, patreon.com forward slash gtm. Thank you very much for that. Mr. Dalton Stewart, is there yet another means of social media? Yes, Dustin. Uh, if you'll refer to the good book, uh, in Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen, it tells us that the path of the tweening man is beset on all sides by the inequities and the selfishness and the tyranny of people on Tumblr. Uh, I'm just playing. <laughs> um, I actually like Tumblr. I probably should have said Instagram. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Honorcast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Alex, Caleb, and myself uh, do our best to... Uh, Keep putting fun things on there, letting you know when the shows drop, uh, letting you know um, about fun things that are coming up uh, both internationally, uh, nationally, and uh, locally. Um, we have fun on there. I, I, I would recommend you do that. Once again, that is good underscore trash, and that's going to be your one-stop shop source for following the entire Good Trash Media Network. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Finally, I go to you, Mr. Caleb Masters, with a special announcement of a few new shows that are going on the Media Network. Yeah, well, we've got we've got a couple of new shows that have gone up. Uh, for those of you who are, are living in Westeros this time, we are in that lovely time of year for 10, maybe 11 weeks, where we get to go watch some Game of Thrones. And um, I have, uh, before uh, I met these fools, I was podcasting Game of Thrones, and have finally uh, brought uh, that my Game of Thrones podcast, The Cast Beyond the Wall, onto the Good Trash Media Network this year. And it drops on Wednesdays, sometime during the day. And you're going to hear some familiar, outside of just me, you're going to hear some familiar Good Trash voices from time to time. Uh, and and uh, we have a lot of fun. So if you are of the of the Game of Thrones watching, please check us out. A uh, lot of recapping, but we do try to get analytical. We want to do. We want to. We want to talk a little more of the smart stuff, kind of what we do here on Good Trash Media. So uh, I think Alex is going to talk to us a little bit more of our next uh, kind of our new seventh, our most recent addition uh, to uh, Good Trash Media. Sure thing. So uh, we recently got a. Uh, a- uh, a pitch for a really great new show, and it's our first foray um, besides uh, Dalton's uh, show that's interview and talks about film. It's really our first foray into exclusively non-film 
analytical content. And so I'm happy to announce, and we've already announced it, but I'm happy to announce again that we have uh, Matt Lane's The B Show, or The B Show with Matt Lane, which is a, a wrestling, an analytical wrestling uh, podcast. It's not just the WWE universe. It is also uh, Lucha Underground, um, Ring of Honor, any uh, New Japan, all of these other wrestling uh, promotions. And he's going to take an analytical look at what those promotions are doing and some just really interesting work. So he's got a couple episodes up right now, and one of which is about why uh, wrestling is basically modern-day Shakespeare. So if that punches your buttons in any fun ways, you should definitely check that out. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that special announcement, uh, dear co-host. Now, dear listener, it's time for the randomizer. Yet again, we've got to roll the bingo balls and select a film for next time. Ooh, excited. Get ready. Come on, money. All right, and the film is... Holy cow, I can't read it. Romancing the Stone. Yes! yes! And uh, we're going to be talking Romancing the Stone. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, but in the meantime... <laughs> I'm you're so, you're I'm, very excited. I'm so excited. Fuck <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. This has just been a movie I've been wanting to see for forever and haven't. Oh, you're in for a real I treat. know. I love Indiana Jones, and I love rom- romantic comedies, so oh, yeah, I'm it's really gonna, excited. It's going to be fun times. <laughs> take a look at this. Take a look at Captain America Winter Soldier. Take a look at any movie and have a conversation, because the movies are so much more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of comp- popcorn. Cop, cop, Com- popcorn. Compton. Co- go, straight bu- out of Compton. A bu- a bucket straight out of Compton. Popcorn. <laughs> uh, no, it's about the conversation you have after. That's what makes watching the movies so worthwhile. And we'll see you all next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandro Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genrecast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com.